It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley, or am I? Maybe I'm a puppet. I'm not a puppet, but I have been speaking to some puppets. Uh, coming up on today's episode, we go behind the scenes of Spitting Image, uh, including an interview with Boris Johnson, in inverted commas, and Greta Thunberg. And we also speak to uh, some of the people who make the puppets and the man behind the whole thing, trying to keep the show on the road. So that's re- honestly, it's a lot of fun. Uh, that's coming up on the episode in just a moment. But first is today's Economist panel. Uh, no night at the Marriott today. James Marriott's away. Uh, so we've got India Knight and Katie Bulls. What happens to the Tory rebellion? Beginning of the week, we were going to have cabinet resignations. Boris Johnson's premiership was over. He was breaking the manifesto commitment. He was putting up taxes. He was finished. And then five people voted against it last night. What happened? Yeah, it was amazing, wasn't it? But also, in a way, slightly predictable. And we once again saw the power of anonymous briefings um, in the sense that they give ministers license to say lots of things that they can't really be held to account on or even uh, ask why they didn't do what they said. Um, I I think it was, again, just a classic case of people getting quite overexcited. Uh, We heard there were at least, you know, five cabinet ministers uh, who were going uh, anonymous to say they weren't going to support this proposal. And then you had another anonymous cabinet are saying there are way more than five and yet it's sailed through cabinet with just a few tiny complaints about um, you know the wisdom of manifesto pledges but no resignations um and and i think we are seeing the fact that ultimately i think the calculation was made by uh, both uh, those on the payroll and those who would like to be on the payroll that it wasn't in their interest to actually take too much of a stand on this i still think if you look at the number of mps abstaining there's clearly some discontent, but I think everyone clearly doesn't want to put their head above the power of it if they're not in a if they're in such a small number that it could really uh, affect their chances of promotion. Perhaps I suppose there's also an element of um, if if at the moment and the you know the polling did seem to shift between when it was a theoretical rise, there was public support was quite high, uh, when it became slightly more realistic and, be, uh, and, it, and Boris Johnson actually announced it and people had sort of interrogated a bit. It was only narrowly that I think 44% supported it, 43% against. But um, if it is now happening, I suppose it's quite bad politics if you go around saying, well, this is a terrible thing that we're doing. And actually, because, you know, you're going to be standing for election next time round and, you know, you don't want to spend the next three years going around saying the thing that you're doing is terrible. So actually just biting your tongue and and, uh, unless there's any prospect of stopping it happening, the crude politics of Tory MPs thinking, well... It's going to happen anyway. There's no value in me going around saying this thing is awful. 
Yeah, and I think that goes clearly to the power of Boris Johnson. He is in a powerful position as leader right now. So um, if you only feel as though you know, a handful of Tory MPs are going to say they're not going to support it, why would you join that group if you're not going to have an impact? So there's something in that. I think that when you're looking at what this means for Tories at the next election, lots of the MPs who have abstained are doing so because they're genuinely worried about voting for something that they promised they wouldn't do. And I think therefore with the polling, clearly if there was, um, you know, huge public outrage at the proposal, just as you think about things like Barnard Castle and Dominic Cummings, it makes everything more exacerbated so people are much willing to say stop this. But I think it's quite hard to predict where exactly this one's going to go because you can see, as you say, it's now it's happening more people turning against it and also we don't yet know what happens if the policy never quite reaches social care as promised if more money is needed if there are more tax rises so i think that there are plenty of grumbles to come um and, and we i wouldn't say boris johnson has you know the full backing of his party on this indefinitely still yeah it's it's it, yeah it's battle averted rather than uh, um avoided yeah. altogether um uh india what have you made uh, of watching this this sort of slightly strange position we're in now where the tories are the ones who are putting up taxes to raise money for the nhs and the labor party is opposing it well he seems <coughs> johnson very safe from um the obvious structural things that most prime ministers worry about the uh, opposition can't get near him because he's spending big and taxing up, so you can't un- outmaneuver him from the soft left. Also, I think, I haven't been my bonnet about this, also Labour has allowed left and right to be defined not by economic issues, but by uh, issues around wokeness. So Johnson's spending plus his unwoke politics, I think, appeals to the North and to plenty of Labour people who don't want uh the replacement of economics was woke. So the more Labour appears to put woke issues before economic ones, the more they're stuffed. So that's the opposition. Uh, And I think really what this will reflect is that his own side knows that if they take the pain, they will get an almost certain win at the the next election. And they have no other power centre. People go on all the time about Rishi Sunak. But, you know, there doesn't seem to be any very concrete evidence that he had he has people who'd put their careers on the line for him. And I thought it was interesting that Peter Lilly, who's 77, led the opposition to the tax risers. <laughs> and, uh, and also, I mean, Rishi Sunak is, you know, he was, the, if, if um, left entirely to Boris Johnson, he'd have just given the money to the NHS and not yeah, worried exactly. about where it came from. It's, yeah. it's Rishi Sunak who's behind him. There's an interesting sort of um, dynamic going on here. Um, uh, uh, is the, the, the point that you make, um, India, about, how left and right has become sort of cultural rather than economic. Because mm. you've got the people who are very cross about this, traditional uh, conservatives. Uh, Ian Martin, uh, writing in The Times today, saying the Tories are no longer the party of business. Uh, um, Alistair Heath in The Telegraph today, real Tories will never forgive Boris for turning his party into blue Labour. And part of me thinks, well, what, what's Alistair Heath, what, what, what are real Tories going to do? Vote Labour in protest? It doesn't seem that likely. It's part of the... The, the coalition, the calculation that Boris Johnson makes, that he hangs on to traditional Tories, and then if he can scoop up a load of uh, previous Labour voters, then um, then that's that's just smart politics, isn't it? I mean, is, is, he's does... only really he's only a Tory to the extent that Tories like him. I think if more <laughs> Labour people liked him, I mean, don't forget it was Labour voters who shifted uh, and enabled him to beat what's it, Livingston, Ken Livingston, twice as Mayor of London. So if more Labour people liked him, he'd be a Labour Prime Minister or a Lib Dem Prime Minister. What he is, is he's an election winning machine with no particular political baggage or political ideals. 
Yeah, that's uh, that, and that, but that actually works quite well if you're if you're yeah. trying to, to to win elections. Um, Katie, do do the traditional right wing, uh, economically conservative voters? Do they? Does Boris Johnson need to worry about them? Is there a risk of a of a of another party emerging on the right, a sort of Brexit party, UKIP? You know, that's always the risk that if the, as the Conservatives move to the centre. There's a party that comes comes up on the right. Does Boris Johnson need to worry about that at this point? Well, I think India is completely right in the sense that at the moment, where would these voters go? And I think it's no surprise that the right wing media or the right leaning media are the most critical of these plans. But there's no other party to endorse. Um, and I don't know, in the sense that we've seen how hard it is for a party to arrive afresh, uh, take seats in an election. But we've also seen with the Brexit party how they can take enough of your vote margin to have quite a difficult effect, uh, potentially put things at risk for you. So I, I, it's you do wonder, is Nigel Farage going to come back? And though uh, he has a very bad record in terms of getting uh, you know MPs into Parliament, in terms of... Uh, cutting into the Tory vote share, I think the record is much more threatening to the Tories. I think one thing I hear about from those Tory MPs who are worried about the direction of travel is they think that if there was a new party, perhaps led by someone like Nigel Farage, which focused on low taxes and also anti-net zero in terms of the cost of net zero, that's going to become more uh, obvious as the months and years go on. That could, you know, take five ten percent from the Tory vote and then you are in a different place so I don't think it can be ruled out and I think it's more about would it take enough of the Tory share to help Labour move up a bit rather than you know replace the Tories in any way. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and you know, um, David Cameron's living proof of what happens when you worry perhaps a bit too much about that party out on the right wing. Uh, you end up promising a referendum, and then that's when you went up. Um, the one, <laughs> one thing I wanted to um, discuss with you both is the government's launched this consultation today on making a vaccination a condition of uh, deployment for frontline workers in health and care settings. This idea of sort of mandatory uh, vaccination is a, is a real sort of... It's one of those big ethical questions that I'm not entirely sure our politics is currently capable of... Uh, discussing in a sensible, rational way. Uh, to be honest, it's a six-week consultation being launched today, so it's going to be some while off yet as to whether or not it, it actually happens. But what do you think about this, India? Because it's really, it's one of these issues which I'm, I'm quite easily swayed on, I think. Yeah, I'm quite easily swayed as well. My instinct is that it's it's fine, that needs must. That's my instinct. But I I agree, I, it's, it's ethically complicated and I would be swayable. Well, up to a point. No, I think it's broadly, I think it's broadly a good idea. Well, I suppose there is something that, that, that I suppose on the one hand, I don't think we should be necessarily told what to do, and it all it, actually mandating it sort of slightly fuels the nutters mm. uh, concept of this being some great government conspiracy. Mm. However, I, you do have to question the wisdom of someone who is working in, work, literally working in the business of looking after sick people. Yeah, and refusing to get jabbed. And won't get jabbed, yeah. What do you think, uh, Katie? Yeah, I think when you're in settings where you're specifically working with vulnerable people and that's the main function of your job, um, perhaps different rules should apply to you in terms of the various jabs you receive. You know, I think you can actually widen it out past just the COVID jab. Uh, The only thing I wonder, though, is, uh, obviously, we're still in a stage where we're learning more about the virus, you know, even a year and a half in. But there is uh, evidence suggests, for example, that if you have antibodies, that is quite a strong protection 
depending on which studies you read, it can be more. So you do wonder if there could be a, a case where uh, if you have proof of, you know, strong antibodies, that could be, you know, so it's not just that you have to get the jab. I wonder mm. if there's a way to explore it in that sense. Yeah, yeah, and I suppose that's the um, uh, uh, that. But then you sort of start getting into you sort of testing everyone, and then that's you know that seems even more sort of um, like something from a um, dystopian job mm. <laughs> or something. Yeah, but I just wonder if people had a choice of you know, as in like, as in I completely agree it's a more complicated way of doing it. Um, but I, if if you're worried about kind of the moral implications of imposing something, I, I kind of think if there is a option which is more time consuming for that specific person but they still want to follow it and it looks and if the science just is safe then it's almost on it's their choice to do that yeah 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 no, i think that that does make sense talking of dystopian futures let's talk about gavin williamson uh, oh. <laughs> uh we were we were all ready to go down to downing street today for the reshuffle that never was we were braced we were poised um, like Coyle Springs to to go down to Downing Street and pay a moving tribute to Gavin Williamson. Um, he's still there. The reshuffle... Do you, before we get on to Gavin Williamson specifically, do you think the reshuffle was a real thing, Katie? Or was it just some very clever... Was it some daft reporting by the Sunday papers that the, the Downing Street realised was probably of use to them? Yeah, I don't think it hurt Boris Johnson in getting this rebellion down to uh, a number you can count on your hands. Uh, but I... I mean, I do think Boris Johnson has been thinking about a reshuffle for some time. We know he is averse to it because the last one actually was pretty disastrous in terms of what it did to party morale, particularly in the junior ranks. Um, and some that was disguised by lockdown rebellions, but it did have repercussions. Um, I think they were thinking about one before the summer recess before everyone was sent into self-isolation. So uh, I think there's reason to think that they are still thinking about when they might do it, but clearly floating it has helped Boris Johnson get this rebellion um, down and meant that you had so few people willing to put their money where their mouth is on anonymous briefings. So I think it's probably a bit of both. And, and it does feel like, actually, do the reshuffle, present the new team at party conferences, the reboot. We've made the promises. Now let's get on and deliver them with some degree of competence, which brings us to Gavin Williamson. Uh, um, India. Uh, the most interesting part of this story, the, the, the um, Marcus Rashford uh, <laughs> Gavin Williamson story when he claims to have met uh, Marcus Rashford in an online uh, meet, Zoom meeting and it wasn't it was the uh, black rugby player Maro Itoji um, the fact for me the most interesting thing is that it, that, that was put out by Gavin Williamson's team they rather than saying no he just got you know there was a meeting in the diary and actually it didn't happen uh, they, they, they put out no, 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 he just got two black people muddled up. And that was the official line out of the Department of uh, Education. It doesn't suggest a huge amount of faith in their Secretary of State. No, it really doesn't. And I also think it's just an extraordinary mistake to make. I wouldn't have a Zoom call with you for half an hour or whatever and then walk around for the rest of the week. <laughs> I, I don't know why I'm laughing. It makes me really angry, <laughs> claiming I'd been speaking to Jeremy Clarkson. You know, <laughs> come on. I was looking come forward on. to who you were going to confuse me with, and now yes, I'm well, going to take offence. You know, it's not necessarily the comparison I'd make in my head, <laughs> but I'm just giving an example. I was hoping you might have said James Marriott, because he's about half my age, so that would have been... Yes. A, I would have I'd taken that as a compliment. Maybe he's a bit squirreled, James. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that is what he's doing, yeah. Not making, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just extraordinary. And the fact that it's... But anyway, you know, to not be astute enough to know who you're speaking to suggests you're only seeing the colour they are. You know, one went to Harrow, one is Marcus Rashford. Come on, come on. <laughs> and it makes me angry because 
I mean, I'm talking about journalists because I know mostly journalists, but, you know, brown and black journalists are always being confused with each other. Christian and Guru Murthy and Faisal Islam or Satnam Sanghera and Safaz Majur or Anita Rani and Saira Khan or, 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 or Michelle Hussein on the Today programme being still, still being called Michelle by lots of the people she interviews. I mean, it's just extraordinary. And as you say, for his own team to put it out... Is I I mean I don't know what I don't know what, what is going on. <laughs> Katie Balls from The Spectator and Indian Knight from The Sunday Times. Of course, you can read India every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash times box. Up next, what happened when I went behind the scenes at Spitting Image? Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast. Now, strap yourselves in. This is what happened when I went to the Spitting Image Studios. Wow, uh, here it is then. Right, straight into the workshop. Uh, blimey, okay. Um, right, so what can we see? We've got sewing machines on the go over there. Uh, there's, uh, I can see right across in the far corner, there are some makeup artists touching up a puppet. Uh, one person's doing a, a sort of head, and uh, somebody's doing some very weird looking sort of rubber gloves, the sort of hands of the puppets. Uh, and then across here, there's someone mending Elton John's glasses. And uh, across the room, there's, there's a dressmaker, I suppose, wrestling a frock onto a headless torso, which looks pretty gruesome. And uh, just there, there's model maker Jonathan Saville, who's having problems with Dominic Cummings. His head isn't throbbing evenly, so we, it, it's working perfectly well that side, but uh, nothing seems to be happening that side. Right, at least said about that, the better. Let's go to the other side of the room and take a proper look at some of the puppets. 
So this is the uh, politician's shelf. So I think, that, I think that's Boris Johnson. Somebody's got icicles coming out of his nose. Matt Hancock. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo there's finding its way into politicians. So Chris Whitty. Uh, Rishi Sunak. And you've got Prince Charles. And then all, all along here you've got more politicians. So you've got Mike Pence. Dominic Raab, presumably Mike Pence won't get much of an outing in this series. Dominic Raab, Xi Jinping, Scott Morrison. Uh, so that's all politicians, more of the cabinet, uh, footballers down there. And then interestingly on here, this side, you've got celebrities. So you've got people like Bill Gates, Elton John, Greta Thunberg, Harry Styles. But in this one, you've got Carrie Simons, uh, of course the Prime Minister's wife, who's been filed underneath celebrities, which I imagine she'll be quite happy about. I'm head of the, the puppet workshop, so um, oversee all the making of the puppets. This is Locke Collette, who works closely with Roger Law, one of the original co-creators of Spitting Image, back in the 1980s and 1990s, before it was rebooted last year. The entire process, from the caricature stage, so Roger commissions the caricatures, and those are then signed off by the production, um, the top production staff and we then put that out to a sculptor. And the sculpts are then effectively moulded, cored, which creates an interior, a void for the hand to go up into the puppet, and they are injected with a foamed latex, effectively like baking. So the latex is whipped and it has a rising agent within it, so it rises to a certain level. It's injected into the mould, baked on a very low heat like a meringue, and, you know, comes to us within a couple of couple of days and we then sort the fitting up, the making up, the skull going in, it's painted, it's wigged up by the wonderful Darlene, and it's on set. And that's how the rotation works. It's pretty quick. It's I mean, it's pretty quick. When we're in topicals, yeah. for instance last year Marcus Rashford came into the public eye and we wanted to make sure there was a puppet there of him yeah. that, that week. It was a two-day sculpt. It was moulded in plaster and run in latex, which is effectively like a willy boot. How many people's hands does that pass through to get from drawing to there? So let's say Adrian's one, sculptor two, moulders three, foamers four, the people that stumble and trim, so this comes and it's it's sort of foamy. It's you know got little holes all over it. That's filled in, so that's five. Uh, mechanics are six. The people that actually make the eye mechanism seven, um, and then the painter would be eight. Wigging up nine. Costume ten. Wow. So it's ten stages. Ten stages. I've never thought of that before. So thank <laughs> you for that question. <laughs> we'll walk down the path. Yes, here. you lead the way. So, quick introductions. This is Christy, who's our sort of number one sculptor. Hello, Christy. Um, and she's working on Phoebe Wallerbridge. So, this is at what we call blocking out stage. So, this is just literally a day's worth of work so far. Um, so, she's just created the shape. If you're doing Phoebe Wallerbridge now, who have you had the most fun making? Models when I had to do Michael Gove, was that one came out re really easily. Same with Chrissy Patel. All the ones that you know a lot and you you have a particular feeling about, and especially if they know you know the direction they want to go with the character, it makes it a lot easier. When somebody is kind of neither here nor there, it's actually trickier because also you have your own feelings about them. You like them, so you don't really want to make them look terrible. So so other people have to step in there and kind of say, go on, push it. 
make him look like the caricature. So there is a part of you that reserves a little bit when it comes to those characters. But when it comes to the, the bad guys, let's say, they're, they're great. They're just good fun. Let's be honest, there's no getting away from it. Uh, Michael Gove's cheeks look like testicles. I'm incredibly flattered, but I mean, it's an honour. You know, it's like... Um, uh, but they've made your face look like genitals. Well, <laughs> uh, I think even even my most generous friends would say that my face was designed for Rick. Up next, we'll continue the tour of the studio. And someone was saying we might even be able to grab a chat with the Prime Minister. Matt Chorley on Times Radio with GoDaddy. Providing all the help and tools you need to grow your business online. This is Matt Chorley on Times Radio on an exclusive tour of the Spitting Image Studios ahead of the return of the satirical puppet show this weekend to our screens. And I've just been granted an audience with a VIP in the cabinet room. Well, hello, Prime Minister. Welcome to Times Radio. It's a great uh, honour to be here on Talk Radio, and my well, favourite uh, clickbait-driven uh, news in Colorado. Will you people? Well, uh, they, they are uh, one of our valued sister stations, so we're, we're a big fan of, uh, of right. them. It's a lovely place that you've got here. Uh, thank you so much. I uh, very much like the Times Radio uh, studio, uh, in that it's uh, better to uh, hear than it is to look at, and a lot of the stuff I film here, frankly, is appalling. Now, Prime Minister, I see you've got a, a painting of, of one of your predecessors behind you on the wall there. Would you like to order, sir? Yes, I will have a steak. How do you like it? Oh, uh, raw, please. And what about the vegetables? Oh, they'll have the same as me. Are you a big fan of the Iron Lady? Oh, I'm a big fan of many ladies. Uh, the Iron Lady, uh, the Stone Lady, uh, big girls, little girls, tall girls. Uh, I love them all. Although, yeah, of course, now that I have Carrie, I don't look at women that way. Certainly not unless I'm on my laptop. There's been lots of speculation recently about your, your cabinet. Are you going to carry out a reshuffle, maybe move some people out, bring some new people in? Yes, I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to well, I got rid of one of the last remainers in there, Matt Hancock. Uh, so I need to get rid of Vichy uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, one, he's uh, pretty talented. Uh, secondly, of course, he's Remainer. And thirdly, the b is after my job. And I'm going to bring in someone who would pay no threat to me at all. Uh, someone of such limited intellect that they will never pose a threat to my position. So, Matt Chorley, it is an honour to promote you to the Cabinet where you will be safely ensconced. Uh, and I will be safely uh, Prime Minister forever. Well, I, I'm glad that, once again, your, your grip on the facts means you think that Rishi Sunak was a Remainer <laughs> and I wasn't. So, uh, <laughs> which, is, which is absolutely... Uh, well, details, dear boy, details. <laughs> as long as it allows me to, to frankly, slit the throat of any b who tries to take my job. I, look, since when, by the way, Matt Chorley of Times Radio, have I been particularly bothered about facts? Do you think all of a sudden I've got a new taste, a new desire to start speaking the truth? Well, then you're, you're very much forgotten. But uh, look, I, I, I appreciate you being, uh, frankly, at groin height. So get yourself under the table and make yourself useful. It's so weird, isn't it? You, well, the speed at which it's suddenly like it's you suddenly yeah. it's just like a person. It's amazing. It's amazing. So Matt Ford, we've taken you out of the innards of, uh, of Boris Johnson. How many voices are you doing on this series? Uh, so I do uh, Boris Johnson, Keir Starmer, Donald Trump, Phil Foden, and Alex Salmond. That's quite a broad. That's a, quite a broad mixer. It is, yeah. I mean, four of them. I guess Salmond and Trump have their similarities. Oh, really? God. And, uh, and, and oh, Boris and Trump <laughs> have their similarities. And then Phil Foden is, you know, 
just a lovely guy who's very good at football. <laughs> so they're kind of, it's a mixture, mainly politicians, but. Uh, so Salmon, that very much, that, that Mark's creator prayer, you know, and it, it's, uh, something you may not know is FCTH is like, uh, thinking a lot about uh, sort of stuff that I should be doing, you know, a lot of thoughts gone into that. You know, Phil Foden, sort of very high, you know, very nice at that and very sort of soft-spoken. I think England did very well over the summer. Now, it's interesting, people, everyone knows what Boris Johnson and Donald Trump sound like. Yeah. Do that many people know what Phil Foden sounds like? And therefore, is your job a bit easier? Very possibly, yeah. I mean, Keir Starmer was the one that I had to slightly knock up at short notice. And in fact, it was only watching him, I interviewed him the other month, and I noticed that the puppeteers had noticed something that I think no one else does, that he does this sort of double hand chop when he talks a lot. And I sat opposite him and I thought, I first saw that on Spitting Image. <laughs> they noticed that, and I was like, how have I not noticed that? But he does that sort of head to the side and this sort of double hand chop. But really important, that. Really important. You've got to change the, change the country. You know, 45, 97, you know, 64, what they have in common. You know, Labour sees the future, got to do it. You know, agree with the government when they get it right, I disagree with them when they get it wrong. You know, they had this sort of thing, and I was like, I, these guys noticed it like a year before everyone else. And now when you're doing the voice, even though you're just recording the voice, are you yeah. doing the action? Oh, absolutely. Sat at home <laughs> in my underpants. Just like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we do it all in our spare rooms. So it's kind of weird. You know, I just record it into my laptop. And then you see it played out here on this grand stage. You're like, oh my God. And it, because you could do it with CGI or whatever now. Yeah. It just wouldn't be as good. There's something watching Boris's hair fluffing yeah. about there. Yeah. It's, that, it's amazing. And suddenly, I couldn't. You were doing the voice, they were behind. But you suddenly, it takes about two seconds, you, you start thinking it's a real person. Well, you can't, because they bl there's something about the fact that it blinks. Like, there was something hardwired into us, evolutionary, like, it blinks, it must be alive. It must be a So person. you can't help, and also it really looks like him, even though it doesn't, it, it really does. Yeah. And when they're moving, and they've got all the little touches, I just, the puppetry is, I, I think it's the funniest thing about the show, because they really inhabit, they really move like them. But also it's because when you're watching, you're, you're realising subconsciously, all the work that's got you, yeah. all this information you're taking in, the portrait of Margaret Thatcher, the yeah. hair, the eye, all that, and like you said, all that effort. Probably to do a knob joke. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, that's yeah. what makes it so funny. That's what's great. To go it. to all that trouble. Yeah. Because obviously people say it's a comedy thing, and obviously it launched so many impressionists. But really, it's the grotesque latex reproductions of those people and the way that they move that really, really makes it funny. And I just think that's the magic of it. And to stand here, telling isn't made like this anymore. Yeah. And yet we've done it for this, <laughs> again, just for a load of knob jokes. Matt Ford there, and we continue our tour of the Spitting Image Studios, and we will hopefully stumble across someone new in Downing Street. Here I am. I am in the rightful place. Behind me is the Iron Lady, whereas I am the Climate Lady. So, Greta, I'm interviewing you here in number 10. Yes. It appears you are now, what, Prime Minister? No. I don't want to be Prime Minister of this country. I want to be the saviour of the world. And how, how do you think you're going to go about doing that? Well, firstly, I think I need to, um, how do you say, appeal to a wider range of people. So I am thinking of becoming a pop star to spread my message. And what, what sort of songs will you be singing? Um, I said a hip hop. The hippie, the hippie to the hip, hip, hop, and you don't stop rocking to the bang, bang, boogie. Said up, jump, the boogie, to the rhythm of the boogie, the beat, or the earth song, one of those two. Greta Thunberg, thank you for joining us on Times Radio. Mm, thank you. 
Has she always got massive hands like that? Or are they Boris's hands? <laughs> just, all of the hands of the puppets are enormous, aren't they? Because they're sort of latex there's quite, but there's I suppose because they are your hands. And you, her haven't, head your, is, you haven't got your hat. Yeah, exactly. Her head is really small yeah. compared to mine. There's just something, there was something very funny about her very small head <laughs> and these big man hands coming out today. <laughs> so I'm here now with Jess Robinson, one of the voices on Spitting Image, yes. including for Greta. Greta, Adele. Kim Kardashian, Angela Merkel, Nicola Sturgeon, um, I think Ellen, I think there might be an Olivia Coleman coming up, a Jess Phillips who I've still got to learn. Um, who else? Look, Gwyneth Paltrow, lots of, the, most of the female voices, A good, voices, old, a good old range, a good really old range. Really massive though. range. Who's the most fun to do? Um, the most, oh, you know who I'm going to miss is Melania. I mean, I don't know whether she'll be in this series or not, but I hope so because, you know, you don't have to move the face. <laughs> <laughs> and what about doing someone like Greta? Because she is a child. Is it difficult? Do you, you don't want to be too cruel to her necessarily? Or is everyone fair go? Um, people like Boris, Trump, they are fair game, 100%. But we've got people like um, Greta, Marcus Rashford, uh, Tom Daly, and they're more like heroes of the piece. They're, they might be the voice of reason, you know, so we'll, we treat them in a different way. So you're doing Jess Phillips. Talk me through the process of, you get the call saying, we've got a Jess Phillips puppet being made. Yeah. How do you go about learning a new voice? Okay, so I literally found out that I was doing Jess Phillips about 10 minutes ago. Usually it's the night before, so that's great. I've, I've got, <laughs> got a little while, maybe two or three days to prepare. I will go home and watch loads and loads and loads and loads and loads of interviews of her on YouTube. I'll get some um, clips of her that I'll listen to on my headphones constantly. Then I will record myself and then compare it to a clip of her. Then the last stage is running it past my mum. She is the most critical person that you've ever met in your whole life. If it gets past her, it can go on the show. Is there anyone you'd really like to do who isn't currently part of the series? Yes, I do miss Theresa May. I wish she would do something to get into the news so I could do <coughs> this voice. It's not a proper job, this, is it? It's, it's not a proper job. It's not a proper job. Jess Robinson there. Now... So there's one nagging question to all of this. Is it really possible to send up this lot? Can you make fun of someone like Boris Johnson, who is this outlandish comedy character who achieved fame on panel shows and zip wires and not through pamphlets and appearances on Question Time? Can you, can you send up Boris Johnson or, or Rishi Sunak? When the real Rishi Sunak boasts of doing exercise bike routines where he imagines himself as a sizzling fajita... Or Pretty Patel wants to process refugees on derelict oil rigs. Or Dominic Raab says the sea was actually closed. Where can, where can satirists go? It's something I've asked lots of satirists over the years on the Red Box podcast. This was Armando Iannucci a couple of years ago explaining why he couldn't bring back the thick of it. I think of it worked on the basis that we knew what the conventions of politics were and therefore how to wander away from them. But if the conventions don't exist anymore yeah. or if they're being reinvented every day, it's very difficult to know what the what's abnormal, and, and politicians are sort of inventing their own. They're they're being sub, they're subverting the rules of politics deliberately, and therefore the comedians I find who are 
most adept at, at, at getting to the truth of what's going on, act like journalists. But for Ian Hislop, the private eye editor and have I got news for you, team captain, he told me a couple of years back there's nothing new in the idea that our politics is beyond satire. The first writer I know who said satire is pointless was Juvenal. Um, he was the Roman satirist. He was writing in 100 AD. And he said, you know, Rome's crazy now. I mean, it's full of immigrants. You know, no one, no one's any good anymore. Only the leaders from the old days. I mean, the leaders we have now, they're absolutely hopeless. It's beyond satire. I mean, yeah, it, and it's beyond satire. And, and why do I bother to do it? You can't do it anymore. There's nothing to say. Nothing is beyond satire. You just have to work harder. Well, the person praying that there is still mileage in satirising this lot is Jeff Westbrook, a former writer on The Simpsons and Futurama, who is now the showrunner on Spitting Image and deciding who gets a skewing. So I headed upstairs to grab a chat with Jeff between reading scripts, overseeing edits and ordering yet more puppets. How is this second series different to the first comeback series a year ago? Have you changed anything, a different approach, a different, I don't know, tone, a different, you know, some new characters? How, well, we different? have some new characters for sure. We have, you know, more Hollywood celebrities. We have um, some people we had to say a fond farewell to, like Dominic Cummings, although he might make a reappearance here and there. As he does have a habit on. of doing that. He, he does, does sort of pop up, up yes. Yeah, so. He does have a habit of coming back. Yep. One of the things that I was uh, thinking about in terms of, you know, satire, when you've got, particularly when you're doing British politics, when you've got a politician who is essentially... Prime Minister because he's funny. One of his part of his appeal is he makes his own jokes. Yes. Is that more difficult? Is satire easier or more powerful if you're sending up someone who's trying to be taken seriously than if the, the guy is, is essentially revelling in people laughing at what he's doing? Well, it's a little tricky. We had this similar kind of problem with Trump last year, which was that he, he was like so absurd in his real life, what do you do? All right, we got 15 minutes to clear out the White House before Biden moves in. Take anything that's not nailed down. Um, a little bit of it is taking the character and maybe running with it a little bit, you know, and, and, and amp amping up the craziness, basically. The, the advantage of a guy like Boris is he does so many crazy stuff that there's always something going on you can, you can jump off and have a little fun with. Um, but he's, yeah, so uh, it's, it, it seemed like it would be hard when we first started, but it turned out that actually he gave us enough stuff to work with that we could just kind of wander off that it actually, he's kind of a delightful character to have around now, actually. And actually, it was freakish seeing him downstairs, and Matt was doing the voice. And yeah. suddenly he comes alive. It's amazing. It is amazing. And what about other British politicians? Because actually, he's like really colourful. Loads for you to go at. A lot of the cabinet, shadow cabinet, less so. So who who have you particularly got it in for this series? Well, uh, who do we have it in for? We're going to have a shot at Sajid Javid. We're going to have a shot at him. We're always we're always got our eyes open on Pretty Patel, Dominic Robb. He's been embarrassing himself lately so it'll be fun to have a go at it and on, and on the labor side I mean we actually have fun with Keir Starmer our joke about him is that he's so very pompous and and, and wordy and over the top and, and gangs of hoodlums people petrified in their own homes the country's falling apart and Aaron if only I was in a position to do something you are the leader of the Labour Party exactly powerless and now, 12 months, because he wasn't in the job very long last time, no. 12 months on, people know who he is a bit more. So you've got... A bit more, yeah. There's a bit more flesh for you to put on the bones. A little bit more flesh, yes. A tiny bit more, <laughs> a tiny bit more flesh. It's still a struggle. <laughs> <laughs> and, and just talk me through what's happening with this, because you're not only doing the UK series, it's also international, but then you're at the same time doing a German version of the show. Yes, the, for Sky TV in Germany, um, 
There's a whole German writing team. They're going to take, so last, last season they just took our show and dubbed it in German and ran it, and it was popular, I guess. So this year they're writing specific German content to sort of swap out for the, the British po political stuff. There's something about going to all this trouble, the amazing sets, the costumes, the puppets, just for a joke. <laughs> it sort of adds to the joke, because you could do it in animation or CGI or whatever. Yeah. It would be much easier. You'd have it would be, yes, that's less true. Less palaver. What is it about the mm, appeal of going, of going to all this trouble, of making the puppets and the eyes and the hair and all of that? Well, the, so a lot of it is the sheer physicality of the puppets, I think. This is the, the caricature, like Roger Law behind the caricature, that there's a genius in the caricatures that when it's translated to an actual physical thing, I, you know, you, you just can't, it's just different than animation. It's, there's, there's, they live in this weird space, I would say, between reality, real, just between humans and animation. They sort of have some real physicality, but they're also larger than life and a little crazy. So it's, it's, just, a, it's just a very unique space. And I think because they're real, I certainly find that as I spend a season working with these people, I just begin to believe that they're the real characters. Like, we'll, we'll just be sitting there looking at Elton John, and it's like, oh, Elton, what's going on today? And it's like, oh. <laughs> same with Boris, too. They all seem to come to life in a way that animation wouldn't because it's always be a two-dimensional yeah. flat drawing. Yeah, there's something magical about the sculptures and the caricatures that, you know, just give it a, a unique, unique look. And uniquely British look, too. I think there's something very British about the caricatures. So naturally, it is an honour to promote you to the cabinet where you will be safely ensconced uh, and I will be safely uh, Prime Minister forever. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. And we bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. 